Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. This idea about focusing on the choices that we make every day, because every choice and decision takes us down a path. And if we're not careful, we can end up somewhere physically or even mentally where we really don't want to be. Or we can end up living by default or take the path of least resistance and abdicate all of our choices to other people. In this podcast, I want to touch on some of the lessons that I wish were taught in schools. They are life lessons that can have such a big impact on our happiness and sense of well-being, but often we're left to discover for ourselves. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. 
Welcome to Imprint, episode 100. Wow. I never thought I would say episode 100. Thank you so much for making this possible and for your support and beautiful comments, reviews and five-star ratings. And also thank you to all of the guests who have shared their stories on the podcast too. To mark this special occasion, I thought I would share some of the biggest lessons I've learned on my journey since creating this podcast, because here's the truth about creating a podcast. It really forces you to dig deep and think about what you want to put out into the world, what you want to share and what you want your imprint to be. So I thought I would start this episode just explaining why I called this podcast Imprint. In essence, I've always thought about Imprint being what's your mark going to be on this world? And I have my shop Imprint House, and that very much is about wares for the home that have the maker's imprint on them. There's a sense of something being handmade and handcrafted. And also, you know, within our own homes that we leave our own imprint on our spaces, you know, that our homes reflect who we are and the spaces that we create. But all of it started with my blog, Daily Imprint. And it was very much interviews with various creatives about their journeys and the mark that they wanted to create on this world. And as I was thinking about this question of why did I call it imprint, I actually looked back at my notes for episode one, which was released at the start of COVID. And um, it was interesting looking over these notes. And I'm going to be really honest, when I recorded that very first episode, I must have recorded it at least 20 times, if not more, because I was really struggling to find my voice. I tried to do it scripted, unscripted. And so I found these notes and I haven't actually listened back over that episode because I just don't think I can. But I was reading over these notes and I thought, wow, actually, these are pretty good. Like, I mean, I I like what I wrote and I feel that it's still very pertinent and it very much relates to what this podcast is about. So I hope that you will, um, you know, enjoy me reading some of my notes here about what I wrote at the start of starting this whole podcast. And this is what I said, as this is the first podcast, I want to start with one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves. And I feel that right now it's never been more important to think about how we spend our days and live our lives. So I'm going to borrow the words of American poet, Mary Oliver because she expresses it so beautifully. And I always think if there's an opportunity to add a little more beauty into our lives, then we should take it. This is what she wrote. Tell me, what is your plan to do with your one wild and precious life? This idea of how you're going to live your life informs every decision you make from where you live and the type of home you create to the work you choose the decisions you make within your family, and it can also inform how you choose to engage with your local community and whether giving back is important to you. Now, I know that this might sound like some far off idea right now, but this idea about focusing on the choices that we make every day, because 
is important because every choice and decision takes us down a path. And if we're not careful, we can end up somewhere physically or even mentally where we really don't want to be. Or we can end up living by default or take the path of least resistance and abdicate all of our choices to other people, our parents, people at the school gate, even big business or government. In this podcast, I want to touch on some of the lessons that I wish were taught in schools. They are life lessons that can have such a big impact on our happiness and sense of well-being, but often we're left to discover for ourselves. So let's open up the conversation. So that's what I wrote in my notes for the first episode. And there are so many truths in that episode that still hold true. And while I don't, like I said, I couldn't listen back to that episode, everything that I say in it is what I believe. And in terms of the biggest lessons that I've learned, these still hold true. And so, you know, one of them is that you get to choose how you respond to what happens to you in life. So it's easy to be in reactive mode and to let life happen to you, to fall down and maybe even point the finger or, you know, begrudge someone else or whatever it is. But it is up to us to pick ourselves up and keep moving forward. And I really learned this idea in a very tangible sense when I was doing research for my book, This Is Home. And it comes from this idea that Viktor Frankl wrote about who was in a prisoner of war camp or concentration camp. And, you know, and he said that, you can choose your thoughts. You know, everything could have been stripped away from him, but his ability to choose, his ability to choose what he thought and how he felt. And I've really learned this lesson over and over again. And it just keeps coming back to me that it is your thoughts that create your feelings. And the way that you feel about something will create the action that you take and consequently the results that you get in your life. So if you're feeling anxious, it's because you're choosing to focus on thoughts that make you feel that way. And the good news is that you can choose to think different thoughts. We can actually rewire our brains. And this is why journaling is so powerful, especially in the morning, because we're putting new thoughts, the ones we want to believe in our mind. And it's why you should shouldn't grab for your phone first thing or read an email or look at socials or whatever it is like that time is sacred time that first thing in the morning your first thoughts you know you need to guard them in a very sacred kind of way you really need to protect them and nurture them because they are the foundation for how you will feel for the rest of that day and this is what i said in that first episode if you want to create a home that feels good, then you can question your choices too. After all, you choose what you allow into your home, everything from the materials to the products, and dare I say, the energy. We choose how we manage our homes as well. So you need to think, do you want to create a place that embraces calm or chaos? And the way that you work that out is you need to take a look at how you live and what's really happening in your home. And 
of course, I understand that it's so easy to be seduced and swayed by what everyone else is doing, especially on social media. But again, ask yourself, what's most important for you and your family? And on a bigger scale, you know, do you want to be part of a global solution or a global problem? So here are some simple ways you can think about the choices you can make within your home to create a little bit more calm. So first of all, as you walk through a room, can you pick up one thing on the way to another space to clear clutter? Secondly, can you encourage everyone to have a tidy up before mealtimes or before bedtimes, whatever works for you? And thirdly, can you lead by example? And that's a really big one. It's something that I focus on all the time. You know, am I, it's one thing to ask others in your home to do something, but are you actually leading by example? And that comes to your phone usage and so many other things as well, what you eat. And when it comes to consumerism, can you pause before buying something new and have a closer look in your cupboards and storage to see if you can use what you've already got? You'd be surprised at the amount of homes that I visit through my styling work. And when I ask people for certain objects, such as like a vase or tea towel or blanket or whatever it is, and they start to go through their cupboards and they say, oh yeah, I forgot all about this. Don't forget that you can also choose how you feel within your homes. You can choose which habits or behaviors serve you and your health and well-being as well, or don't. You know if you're looking at your screen too late or getting lost down a rabbit hole of negativity online. Instead, you can choose to focus on what makes you feel good. And if you want a great example, just watch young children or pets. They live completely in the moment. They're not worrying about yesterday or tomorrow. They're just focused on this moment right now. Because after all, this moment right now is actually the only one that we have. So if you want to feel good, or at least better, remember that you always have a choice in how you respond to the circumstances in your life. The second big idea and lesson that I have learned since, well, it's not just creating this podcast, but certainly over the past couple of years, is that your current challenge can also be your greatest opportunity. And I've spoken about this in the past in relation to COVID. And, you know, I was looking at um, then there was like yoga studios that couldn't open and they switched online. And, um, you know, there's one that I use an online one called Modern Movement, and they still offer those classes to this day. You know, so sometimes that can actually be an opportunity. And there's at the moment a lot of talk about recession. But also some of the biggest companies in the world right now came out of the last recession, such as Airbnb. You know, there are so many of them. There is always an opportunity in your challenge. And this happens with design all the time, too. You know, challenges in design often lead to the greatest solutions and challenges in making decisions of letting go of our stuff can actually help us grow and evolve and become a better version of ourselves. So I think it's so important that when we're facing a challenge in our life, 
that we look for ways to see this as an opportunity. You know, how can this be good for us? How can this be an opportunity to grow or to evolve or to become the next version of ourselves? And the same is true with our homes. You know, how can this be an opportunity? So often, you know, I hear people saying, but I live in a rental or, you know, we're not, this is not our forever home. And they really struggle to, you know, make that space the best that it can be. But that is because if you're focused on how this is hard or how you don't know what to do, then your brain will find evidence for that. Instead, you need to look at this as an opportunity of how is this good? How is this an opportunity to create something that you perhaps couldn't do if it was maybe your own home? Or, you know, how can you be playful? Or how can you, you know, accept the challenge and get creative and look for creative solutions to whatever it is that you're faced with? There is always a solution to every problem and you need to look for different ideas and look for different evidence to find that there are solutions. I mean, for every person that sort of says, I can't do this because my home isn't right, I can find you an example of somebody who's got a home that, in quotes, isn't right and they have made it work for them. So there is always a way to find a solution. And the third biggest idea that I wanted to share with you today is that you need to focus on what's available to you right now. So as I mentioned, you know, yoga studios had to move online during COVID. And now for many of them, it has become a core part of their offering. And we've really adapted to this as a society and culture, you know, to, to embrace online education, to embrace online shopping to embrace, you know, online exercise or coaching or whatever it is. And um, I, I actually put a call out on social media for questions that you might like to ask me for this episode. And this idea came up with one of the questions. So this was what um, somebody asked me. She said, long story short, I'm an architect from Sri Lanka and now working in a trailer manufacturing company as I couldn't find a job as an architect here. It's been a while. I've missed all the contacts within the building industry, but it's always in my heart. Over the years, I've been thinking, how can I come back to my passionate creative industry? At the moment, I'm doing an interior design diploma as I need to start somewhere. Can you please talk about people like me who are qualified in different countries and how to restart in a different country and context? What were you to do? What would you do if you were me? Now, of course, you know, I'm... Um, you know, I'm not in that situation, that exact situation. And I completely obviously respect and understand that particularly, I think, you know, not just think, but I know that people of color can face even greater challenges when it comes to moving countries and ingrained prejudices that come along with that. But um, as to the other elements of that, I mean, I did go from living in Australia where I was working as a journalist when I was about 24 years old and went to live in London and I could not for the life of me get a job as a journalist. Basically, people were volunteering to do an internship for a year for free to get their foot into the door for magazines and newspapers and, and I couldn't do that because I actually had an apartment back in Sydney, a very small apartment, my first 
that I had a mortgage and I had to service those payments. So it just wasn't possible. But I, um, you know, I, I made a decision that I spent a long time looking for, for work as a journalist. And I remember actually I got a interview. I might've shared this before. I'm not sure with, it was called something like international shipping news and it was a trade publication. And it was the only, like, I think it was that one. And I think it was like dangerous goods weekly or something crazy like that. And these were like the only interviews I could get, even though I'd studied journalism, I had a master's in journalism. I'd worked for about four years as a journalist in Australia. I was actually a managing editor for a newswire service. Um, I'd had my work published in the Sydney Morning Herald, all of these things. And I just like, this was like, I was scraping the bottom of the barrel. And I thought, this is just going to suck the life out of me. I just, I really don't want to do this. So I made the decision to look for other jobs. And I actually ended up working for a product design company in London called Therefore, and they're still around. And they would design products for Samsung, for um, like a very early version of a smartphone. Um, they designed like speakers and toys and like all sorts of things. And it was this really, really cool design studio. And I was basically started as a, as an office manager and I was kind of running the office, but I said, look, I can do your PR. I can write your press releases. I can write your web stuff for your website. And I got them into the design press, which they had never, ever had happened before, even though they had tried. And, you know, I think that when it comes to life, sometimes there are situations that are not ideal, but it's like, how can I make this good? How can I make this great? And maybe it's, if you feel really drained of what you're doing, then maybe it's taking a sideways step into something that's maybe not as related, but can still make you feel inspired and connected to what you do. And, you know, I think that People are always open if you sort of show initiative and say, look, I can do this for you or I can do that for you. Or maybe you can do projects on the side. Like if you obviously still have to pay the bills, you know, can you do different type of architecture or can you volunteer one day a week at another company or take some leave and, you know, do a week somewhere with someone? You know, often it's just getting your foot in the door and that can be the hardest thing. But then once you do, you then have those connections and contacts to be able to move forward. So here are some of the other questions that I was asked. And some of these are much more kind of rapid fire, but I thought it might be fun to answer them for you today in this special 100th episode. So one of the questions related to work, and it was, what is your personal growth edge that you're currently working on? So my word for 2003, well, it's actually two, it's this idea of breathing room and to create more space within my days and within my life so that I can engage again with my creativity, but, you know, also just have more, I don't want to use the word balance, but just have more um, sacred white space in my days so that I am not drained and I can make decisions clearly. And so to do that, I am growing a team and I've got only a couple of, you know, it's a very, very small team, but um, 
I really appreciate the people that are on my team. And, you know, I've got some great people that have come on board and very excited about that. But part of that process is learning to let go. So, you know, I've this skill of learning to let go. I've had to do it in my home life, but also in my work life. And, you know, that is sometimes a challenge for me when I've spent, you know, the past like 15 years working, um, you know, as one form or another as a kind of freelancer and learning to let go so that I can grow and grow as a business, but also grow personally and um, grow creatively too. Another question related to my home, and it was, what is your favorite item in your home? The one that makes you smile every time you see it. The funny thing is that I'm actually not that personally um, connected to the objects in my home. Of course, you know, I love them. They're all there for a reason. But if I had to let them go, I could. Like I don't invest so much in something that it's super precious. Although having said that, (laughs) I went on a mud trail, which was local ceramicists in our region. They had this sort of mud trail. You could go and visit these different ceramic studios. And I bought these three beautiful bowls and um, they were like ramen bowls. And my son, we have like a no ball games inside rule. And he had, he was like catching like a I don't remember what he found. He found something and he was throwing it up and catching it. And of course, he knocked the bowl off the shelf. And it was one of those moments where it was like slow motion. I was like, no. And I could feel myself kind of lunging forward to try and catch it. And like he was trying to catch it. And I felt so bad for him because, I mean, he's only six and, and he felt so, and it fell to the ground and he smashed. And he said, sorry, mommy. And he knew, like he knew deep within him that he had done the wrong thing and that that bowl was so special. But, you know, of course, I had that moment of thinking, oh, like I really wish that hadn't happened. But at the same time, um, you know, it's a bowl. Life goes on. And I mean, to me, actually, which sounds very strange, the memory of him being so remorseful and being like, Sorry, mummy. Like that is almost more precious to me than the bowl. Well, it is more precious to me than the bowl because it was so sweet. And, um, like I loved him so much in that moment, (laughs) even though of course there was a little bit of afterwards, like I was a bit frustrated that he was throwing this thing inside and we had say no ball games inside. But I would say though, like of all the things that I have, um, probably the timber lockers that I have in my living room they're quite special because they're a vintage piece. They're from France. I can't get those again. And they have moved from, you know, house to house, being used in many different ways. And I've never come across anything like them. So I do love those dearly. But, you know, if, if it came to it, I, I'm still not that attached to them either. I had some questions about family. So one of them was, how do you make yourself fully available for your children when you do? For me, a lot of this relates to boundaries relating to home and work life. This is what works for me. I, when I work, I work, you know, I'm completely immersed in my work. I'm all in on work. And when it's time to stop working, 
I close my computer, you know, it's left in the office. I don't work at the kitchen table. Um, when the children are at home, sometimes I do it during the day because it can be warmer in the kitchen um, or lighter. And um, when the afternoon is not so hot because the, the office is in a very hot spot, but in the westerly sun. And um, but when my children are around, you know, that's then the time to switch off. I don't look at my phone in front of my children. Like I'm present in family life. Now, of course, having four children, there is a lot of stuff that goes on with having four children. You know, there's a lot of um, meal prep, cleaning up after meals, you know, tidying the house, laundry, all of that stuff. So, you know, I'm not shadowing them every second of the day when, you know, when we are together. And I actually love the fact that they're off and off doing their own thing. But, you know, when I'm not working, I'm not on my phone, I'm not on my computer, and I'm really present with them. And that works really well for me. There were some questions about, will your children get phones? Do they get given pocket money? And what chores do your kids do? So I do go into all of these things in my course, The Decluttering Masterclass, because um, in relation to chores and pocket money, we have a system that we use, and we've actually got a job chart and I give that as the bonus within the course that I give the actual all the tasks that we've got listed on the job chart and the money that they get for them. And um, and that is how, you know, they earn their pocket money. Like my six year old, he's earned over three hundred and fifty eight dollars. I think it is. We um, get them to donate a certain amount to charity and there's a whole system that we've got in there. So that's really important to us. Um, learning to save, learning to donate and learning to earn money and know the value of money. And um, in relation to phones, I also touch upon that in the course. And currently we, we did agree with my son, my eldest son, that he could have a phone when he turned 14. We kind of gave him one, but we didn't give him basically access to anything on it. It's been a bit of a source of contention because it's now like six months since his birthday and he basically hasn't been able to use the phone, um, which I know sounds pointless. Like we didn't give him a SIM card and it was that he could use certain things and then he broke it. It was an old phone and then he dropped it and so it's not working. But I do feel that we're going to revise that age to 15 with our other children. I just feel that even 14 is too young and, um, he is allowed to have some time on the laptop. He, he likes kind of doing 3D modeling and using programs like that. He watches YouTube videos about how to build drones and techie things like that. Um, but he has to sit at the kitchen table or the dining table, which is a kind of in a kitchen area. He's not allowed to use the computer in his bedroom. So this idea that, you know, we can walk in, like we can always see him when we walk into the room. Um, so it's very much, I think that's really important for us. And um, yeah, we've got very clear boundaries on that. So there was a question about creativity and it was as a creative, how do you nurture your creativity apart from work? Believe it or not, the answer that came to me when I first read that was, was actually meditation. The, the other morning, to give you an example, I was meditating. And so most mornings I meditate for about 20 minutes, sometimes about 15, but I set a timer for 20 minutes. So I do my, um, wake up, do my yoga stretches, go for, 
walk, sorry, do yoga. I mean, it sometimes changes the order of things, but do yoga, meditate, write in my journal, then go for a walk. And um, I was meditating. And after I finished meditating, it was like, I know what, because we had this issue with track lighting in our new headquarters and the uh, invoice that came through, like the quote came through was very expensive. And it was just for the warehouse area. It's like, we don't really need to, you know, have the most expensive lighting in there. And I said to my husband, I've got it. I've got the solution for what we should do for the lighting in the warehouse. And, um, and it was because I had created that, that sort of negative space, that creative blank space in my day in, through meditating, it actually helped me solve a creative problem. So I do think that, you know, driving, walking and research actually shows, you know, these particularly things like walking. Um, at the moment, my husband and I walk together, so I don't actually get the opportunity to think through problems like I used to. I used to use, actually use that time for problem solving, creative problem solving, and, you know, just brainstorming my own mind about things to do with our home, to do with our life, to do with our children, what, you know, whatever it was. Um, so I do find walking. And like I said, research shows that that rhythm of walking, or it could be even running, it actually helps cognitively for you to create ideas. And so I used to do a lot of reading about how to write and the best writers often um, are runners as well. Like I remember Stephen King said that he, I don't know if he still does run, but he had a book that he wrote about writing. And he said that for him, you know, if he was stuck with an idea, he would go for a run. And I know lots of writers do that. Like if you get stuck for an idea, go for a walk or go for a run. It can be really helpful. And there was also a question about books. What's your next book? There was also a question about like, what are the, the main ideas behind each book? I mean, go to my website and you will find them. But in a nutshell, you know, this is home is about what is it that makes a house a home? Like what are the essential ingredients? It's not how you design it, but what are the elements that makes a house a home? The second book still is about the slow home and it's, you know, how can we build in that pause into our daily lives so that we're more connected with our homes, we can live more sustainably and, um, you know, enjoy our spaces and our lives more. The third book style is all about the art of creating a beautiful home and, you know, engage, expressing yourself in your home and home by the sea is about, um, very much, you know, about connecting to your community and your environment and your surrounds and very much in the context of where I live in the Byron Bay region. But, you know, these ideas can ignite inspiration for you wherever you live in the world. So what's your next book? Well, to be honest, I've actually been stalling on this a little bit because normally like I have a book ready to get up and go. And, um, and I have an idea simmering and I do have some ideas simmering, but to be honest, this idea of having breathing space and breathing room for myself this year, I just feel like I need to give myself some time this coming year to, um, to have that, to just reconnect with myself and realign. And, and so I'm not, I don't have any current plans just yet to do something. I just I need to create some breathing space within my own life so that I can do it in a way that feels inspiring and energizing. And because they're such big projects and I love creating books, but they 
really require a lot of me and a lot of other things fall to the wayside because of it. So I need to give some, you know, I need to lean into some other areas of my life and my business so that they can have a stronger foundation before I embark on a new book journey. But stay tuned because no doubt, I think maybe in the second half of the year, I might start putting pen to paper. We will see. So just to recap on some of those ideas that I shared, you know, some of these biggest lessons that I've learned is that number one, you get to choose what you think and feel. Remember that you are the designer or architect of your own life. Don't forget that, you know, you get to choose the life that you create for yourself. The second is that your current challenge could also be your greatest opportunity. And just wanted to give a heads up that I have got a starter kit that I have created for you. If, you know, if clutter is a challenge for you or not having a sense of calm at home, then I've created a seven day reset and you can go to nataliewalton.com forward slash starter kit to get your seven day reset. If you want to turn your challenge of clutter into an opportunity for yourself. And the third is to focus on what's available to you right now. So thank you once again for not only joining me today, but for your support of the podcast. It really does mean so much. I read every single review and I really appreciate them. And I wish I was able to respond to them, but there doesn't seem to be a facility to do that. But know that I am reading them and I really enjoy when you connect with me in that way and you share on Instagram and I really appreciate you listening and sharing this podcast with those that you know will benefit from it. So thank you so much. And yeah, 100. I'm truly touched and honored. Thank you. And I'm Natalie Walton, and you have been listening to Imprint. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.